Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. Rafe Blanford's waving his yellow iPhone around. Oh my God. Is that the Apple official case? It is, yes. Dear me. That's minging. <laughs> no, they're lovely. I was just looking for a recommendation for others. Yeah. No, it's the official one. It's not like your coloured one. <laughs> it's not poo coloured. It is tan leather. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has developed a patina. A patina. Okay, it's dog poo colour then. You are a hard man to please. Well, at least you're not like Mr. Executive over there with the boring black case. I mean, what? how anonymous and conservative is that? Do you remember when you and used to be a rebel? No, no. <laughs> I don't think rebel is ever a word I would use. I mean, objectionable, yes, but never rebellious. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is season 18, episode 8, and this week we're following up on topics from previous episodes, discussing how AI is transforming taking photos, and sharing our expectations ahead of Apple's WWDC. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. You, McLeod? Yes. Yes, hello. Live from Muscataman. The very same. Yes, live from the... Let's just check. Ooh, it says time to stand up. Sorry, let me just check. 33 degrees outside, says the Apple Watch. 33 degrees. It's still pretty hot. You're ruining my find a friends, because when I go into find a friends to find out, you know, has like, is my wife on the way home from mm. school with the child and do I need to stop working and be ready? Or where's my keys? Mm. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> there are my things there are my computers there's my family in yeah. this bit of the uk but now because you're in a man find a friend does this whole kind of <laughs> oh here's a view of all your friends i was like zoom 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 that's very nice though do, do, do you not feel good that you can see where i am what i'm doing you know same place you know nothing's changed it's nice but since you moved several thousand miles away it's become less immediately useful to me <laughs> i'm just a bit heartbroken that ewan isn't sharing his location with me so no 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 no, we're not having this, Blamford. You are not sharing it with me, okay? Just for clarity. Right. Anyway, how are you, Ben? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. I finished having a rest between work this week, and I'm back at work, so I feel like a productive member of society again, and more importantly, a productive member of society who's going to earn a wage, which is, you know, kind of marginally more exciting. Right, Blamford, how's lockdown London? It is much the same as last week. Things are starting to open up. Um, this We're probably recording this two or three weeks ahead. And so the big oh. excitement this week was all the shops now opening up and they're going to be followed by various other amenities. So life is uh, slowly returning to not quite normal, but socially distanced normal. It'll be a future theme, but one of the things I've been thinking about this week is I don't use Facebook and we talked about that in the past and that's boring now, but I've been on Nextdoor, the sort of the local social oh, yes. network, yes. because you know our local town's been adapting for uh, social distancing and they've closed some roads so that they can make them pedestrianised so people can spread out and this kind of stuff. And 
actually it's been a really good source of information about what's going on locally. Mm. But I thought LinkedIn was the social network that could aggravate me in seconds with all these sort of pretentious influences <laughs> and things. And I think no people whinging about, you know, bollards and potholes on Why or why or why? <laughs> Distressed yeah. of Tunbridge Wells. But yes. I think there's definitely a, an episode on social media and the new platforms they're coming soon. But yeah, it, it's all been good. So we should get into the content, I think, because we've got a busy show this week. Mm. Loads and loads of follow-up. So yep. let's just kick off. This is good. We'll do the follow-up and then we'll get into the content proper. Yeah. So first up, Ewan, last week we were talking about photos and backup mm. and this kind of stuff. And you were talking through your backup strategy. Yes. And I was telling you about mm. my strategy, which was basically to keep a copy of Apple Photos with all the images downloaded on a machine. Right. And, you know, kind of, it's not ideal, absolutely, but it's a way to guarantee that I can get access to it on all the metadata. Yes. Since then, I've found a chap called Tyler Hall, who's a Mac developer over in the US. Mm-hmm. Tyler.io is his website. He's making an app called Granny Smith. It's in very early beta at the moment, but it's a really cool app. What it lets you do is take your Apple Photos photo library, that giant store of absolutely everything. Yes. And actually... What I hadn't realized in Catalina, the most recent version of macOS as we record this, all your shared photo streams, you know, the kind of the joint albums that you have shared with family, they're also now migrated in there. They used to be stored somewhere else. He's made an app. You drop your photo library in there. It lets you browse through it like on a local browser. And more importantly, it lets you do an export. So now you can do an export and it will make a website version of Apple Photos for you. So it exports all the metadata, the likes, oh. the comments, all that sort of stuff in the social channels, and it pulls all the photos out. So now when this app works properly, I've got an option a bit like yours to do a kind of an occasional massive one-time export, all my photos to disk. That's cool. That's cool. The more I read Tyler's site, the more I think he's genius because he solved exactly the problem that I was worried about, which is, yeah, I care about the photos, but I also really care that, you know, like when the boy was born, you know, Grandma wrote some things underneath his photos and, you know, kind of sent him little messages and things. And we'd really like to keep Mm. those for sentimental reasons as well. So Tyler.io, there's an app called Granny Smith. It's very early beta. I tried it out. And for me, it doesn't work on anything other than Catalina yet. But he's quite open about the fact it's early doors. But he's a pro Mac developer, so he's going to make this work Mm. in time. So check that out. So has he he gone, because it says, I'm reading his website, it says he went to Google Photos. Has he then gone... Back to iPhotos. Yes. So there's a little bit of a sort of a why I built this app. But yes, he went back to Apple Photos because of the shared photo streams with his family, which is the same reason as mine. And the way I found him actually was it was his blog post ages ago where I learned how to back up the photo streams on their own because he'd done the analysis about which folder they were stored in and how to save the data. And it was a bit hacky, but it was a really good thing to know. Mm, mm. But actually... That's all changed recently in the most recent version of Catalina. And so actually this app is a really elegant way to solve it. And writing it out to disk with a few web pages that kind of give you a nice index with all your tags and albums and all that kind of stuff as well, that's really slick. So well done him. That's a product I frankly, I hope he charges for it because I'd love to buy it when it's done. And I'm playing with a very early beta version of mm. that. There you go. Near real-time follow-up. Yep. Uh, opportunity for an apology from me. Mr. Constantinidis, Constantinidis, I'm going to say. Are you teasing me? The Chromebook dude? 
the other week I said, oh, yes, we're going to talk about Chromebooks soon. And this chap's written in and you were like, which chap? I was like, I don't remember. Oh, I'm with you. Right. Okay. Why not? Okay. Right. Hello. Hello again. Yes. Yes. He pinged me on Twitter and went, yeah, I'm the Chromebook dude. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're still not going to talk about it this episode, but I just wanted to apologize and give him a name check (laughs) because he deserves to have an identity. Based in Athens, a listener from Greece. So hello. Hello. Awesome. Now, look, 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 you couldn't have Googled, you know, how to say hello in Greek. Come on. Oh, um, I could say goodnight. Is it Kalis, Kalispera? I think is goodnight. Oh, no, Kalinikta is uh, goodnight. So I don't know if that's... Yeah. Well, I'm impressed that you've got half a clue. That's very impressive. Okay. Blamford, of course, is classically educated. So therefore, I, I can see him <laughs> frantically typing... <laughs> Rafe can only speak classical Greek. Yeah. Come on, Rafe. Give us something. Come on. Chariete. Pardon? Chariete. Except I can't pronounce the Kai properly. Okay, so Mr. Constantinides, he could actually type it. I'm not sure that's going to work well on a podcast, Ewan. <laughs> I was in Athens for the uh, Paralympics back whenever that was. Ah, and, that's right. Uh, we sort of basically learned how to ask for moussaka and wine, and that solved all of our needs. I spent a lot of time subsisting on Greek salad, which was a mistake. Very healthy. But also a mistake when you're going to drink that much red wine. Oh, exactly. Yes. Okay, so we're going to come to Chromebooks, though, right? We're going to come to that because yeah, we're building up to it. Well, it's not so much building up to it as his observation is you don't talk about Chromebooks is absolutely correct, but that's because none of us use them. And Ah, uh, well, I've got two. Oh, well, there we go. We will talk about it, but we need to do some prep. The children have got two. Uh, yeah. How many of them do you actually use, Ewan? Oh, I use them a lot. I have to say Hetty isn't that impressed with the screens, but yeah, we'll get into it. Well, I haven't touched one in years, so if we're going to have a conversation, I need to get my hands on one. A friend of mine uses it in anger. He uses the Google Pixel and loves it, loves it. So I'm speaking to Kate Bevan, who's the editor of Which Computing Magazine. She's a, a journalist. I mean, I don't know her, but I was talking to her on Twitter about something else, and she's a massive Chromebook advocate and she does all of her it's her primary computing device and I mean she's pretty discerning user given the access the devices she's got so Mm. I know there are some people that love them out there I don't live in Google land so it's perhaps a bit less appealing but I do acknowledge that they're interesting devices I've got to get my hands on one but right now actually I went speculative shopping to see if there was a cheap one to play with all the cheap ones are sold out they're selling really well during lockdown obviously People are looking for cheap devices and, Mm. you know, good Chromebooks are a good way to get that. But let's keep going because we've got tons of follow-up. Okay, we'll we'll go into that in more depth. Yeah, awesome. It's coming when the research has been done. But yeah, like we, I think personally, I've got a blind spot where Chromebooks are concerned. Boring, quick update. Talked in previous episodes about the Hue spotlights. Yes. Did loads of work, put them in my house, horrified. They whine and hiss and I had to take them all out. Have Philips emailed you? Philips have emailed me. They've done a firmware update and it's fixed it. Really? So oh, wow. if you were thinking of getting, getting, sorry, getting. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's Queen's English, please. If you were thinking of getting Hue spotlights, particularly the GU10 ones that would fit into the spotlight fittings in the UK and were concerned because of the issue. Mm. They don't need to re-release the hardware. They, I think they will be updating the products later in the year, but actually the firmware update they've done has got rid of the hiss completely. I've put them right up to my ears and they're completely silent now as they should be. So you can stick them in your bedroom or all the kinds of places that would have annoyed you to have a background noise now. So mm. I'm really chuffed. I logged a support call because basically I was just saying, I'd seen a comment on Reddit about them replacing them. Some people had sort of basically put in a support ticket Mm. to say, when the new ones are available, will you replace my old ones? Because they're knackered. Right. And 
I did that as well. Right. They did actually say they were going to replace them, but then they said, actually, we've had a recent firmware update to address this. And yeah, it's good. Cool. Because I don't want to take out 28 bulbs and package them up and send them back and mm. spend a week sitting in the dark. So that's great news. Good. Okay. I think that's enough talking for me for a moment. Uh, you, McLeod, what follow-up have you got? just wanted to highlight uh, Disney+. Plus. I'd uh, welcome your views just because the children have been going through it uh, uh, after homework. We've, we've learned the hard way that they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to. Yeah, it's a, a thing they do after they do the homework uh, on the schoolwork because if they, yeah, it doesn't work the other way. They've been really enjoying it. It's, been, it's become their go-to on the Apple TV, their go-to outpost. And then they click, click on that and then they've been going through all the cars. They were watching all the cars movies. Then they, were, yeah. then they discovered Avengers to be watching Avengers. That's had them then playing with the Avengers Lego and so on. So they're really, really enjoying Disney+. Plus. Now, I was a massive, massive early user of Disney+, Plus because of The Mandalorian. I really enjoyed that. I haven't really used it myself much, but I'm just wondering what perspective have you got? Because we did say we would revisit these kind of things. I'm wondering, how is Disney+, Plus working for you, Blanford? Are you a subscriber, Ben? You did say, I think, what, in the last episode? No. Yeah. Three or four episodes. When we last talked about this, you just said, oh, I'm Netflix and I don't need anything else. Thank you very much. I'm Netflix. I'll let Ray Flanford answer first because I've said enough. For- okay. Okay. Well, I was a subscriber to Disney Plus and I'm still a subscriber because I kind of signed up for a year's worth. And they haven't been releasing new content quite as regularly as Netflix or Amazon Prime. They don't have the depth of the catalogue. But there's a couple of movies that have come along that I probably would have gone oh i quite fancy renting that i'll pay a fiver for that so while that's happening i feel like i'm getting value for my subscription there hasn't yet been another series that i've kind of picked up and gone oh that's absolutely fantastic but what i have done is gone back into the back catalog and watch things like um mary poppins and chicken run oh yes and a few other things that just go oh yeah they're really good mary poppins reminds you of your childhood doesn't it i mean there's nothing wrong with it being one of my favorite films anyway moving on it's very good on stage, Rafe. Have you seen it on stage? I haven't seen oh, it on stage, dear. and I definitely That's like really the good. upgraded or the kind of the, I guess the uh, re-release or new version of Mary Poppins as well with Emily Blunt. But what mm. it kind of was interesting for me is actually a smaller catalogue, but with lots of quality stuff in it. When I just wanted to find something to watch, it wasn't too onerous to find something that would be interesting. Mm. And just to get my geek credentials back, I was having mentioned Mary Poppins, although I would say Mary Poppins was a geek. And if anyone disagrees with that, I'll talk to them later. Mm. I also watched some of the Star Wars prequel films the other day, and it was just like in the background. Ah, now which one? But actually I went through, I've so far done The Phantom Menace. There is some bit of the, like the script in particular, just mm. awful, but the kind of the world building and the imagination. Darth Maul. There's still something quite magic about it. Yeah. And so, yes, fan of uh, Disney Plus, whereas I haven't been watching much on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Can I watch The Mandalorian? Yeah, I watched that. But with the others, it, there's been a little bit of um, kind of content fatigue. I mean, I've had time during lockdown and not going out, but actually I found myself reading other things, including... I know this is going to shock Ben, but like newspapers and magazines and other dead tree products. Actual paper. We can see it. The listeners, we can actually see yeah. all the weekend newspapers on his sofa, I think. And it's a rest from looking at the screen. I just don't know why somebody would want to buy the news that happened yesterday printed on a dead tree. It's like, surely news should be more current than that. If you've got time to chop down a tree and write words on it, that's not news anymore. That's history. <laughs> You'll be particularly impressed by the magazine, which I can recommend to our dear listeners, called Delayed Gratification, which is basically uh, the news that happened last quarter. 
And so the most recent one has been a little bit strange because it was all about the election in the UK and other things like no context to like pandemic and global happenings. (laughs) But actually it allows a pause and a reflection and kind of some analysis of the things that have just happened. And I think actually in a world, especially with digital that goes so fast, I've quite enjoyed doing that kind of reading. It's the same reason I, you know, would occasionally pick up things like The Economist and uh, subscribe to, you know, a number of magazines across the design and tech space. It just gives me food for thought rather than at the instant demands of kind of things like TechMeme and other kind of tech sites, The Verge, et cetera, that I do read and subscribe to. So you may mock me for being 24 hours behind the times. Thank you. I will. But in this case, I am three months behind the times with delayed gratification because that would probably be one of my top picks in terms of a recommendation. I was going to make a gag about their subscription service uh, not arriving on time, but that feels weak. Yeah, not funny. I get the appeal of magazines, actually, if it, like not for news. I mean, I still think news needs to be faster than most of the print media can manage it now. But for the stuff where the art is as much of a part of the product as the writing, yeah, I agree with that. On Disney Plus, Ewan, yeah, actually, I, I think I've moved my position a bit, which was... Mm-hmm. We wanted to watch something that was on it, so we did the trial and just let it run on. And I think that point that you made, which perhaps I didn't necessarily appreciate as much when we were talking about it, was the content library, which was as soon as you're in and you've seen all the stuff that either you Mm. recognise or you know the kids are going to enjoy, in some respects, actually, I'd say it's shot up the list above some of the other subscription services we've got access to now just because of that library. You know, all the films that I remember from my childhood or all the brands that you recognise, you know, all the, all the big name shows, you know, they're the ones that you'll think, oh yeah, I mean, we watched uh, Finding Nemo. My little boy is just at the age mm. where he's able to, you know, enjoy that and sit yeah. down and just about sit still long enough to watch that film. Mm. Mm. And of course, now we're going to watch the next one and the next one. And I don't know, you know, I mean, 60 quid is a big expenditure, but actually across a whole year, it feels like it's going to give us good value. So I don't necessarily love the fact that I have to do it, but if that's the way that that content's become available, it feels like a reasonable price to pay. And I think probably that level of pricing, which is just sort of still feels surprisingly low, meant that it was an an impulse purchase. I rationalised it on the fact that if we hired five movies, if we did five HD movie rentals through services, that was it. Mm, And I'd mm, definitely do mm, that over mm. the course of the year. Although actually, the next thing is, I haven't sat down with my wife when we were looking for something to watch. We haven't sat down and browsed through the content catalogue yet because we're sort of still so backlogged on stuff to watch on other services. So I think we're going to need to find, uh, mm. we might have to, literally have to have a notepad and write stuff down. You're like, you know. No, are, are you and, have we mentioned your partner's name on the podcast? I do, yes, it's not a secret. I think she's ashamed, but you know, she's come to terms with it. <laughs> do you and Gillian, do you watch together? Yes. Do you consume content together? In fact, almost that's the only time we watch TV. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think ages ago, 89 just went, no, <laughs> you watch that, I'll watch this. So she's been binge watching New Amsterdam on Amazon Prime. Yeah, which is just, it seems like the same thing every episode, but she's enjoying it. And then she, I think she says the same about the Mandalorian and everything else that I'm watching. And so we, we've separated. Now and again, we've come together to watch the, um, the Apple TV stuff. Yeah. But that's about it. Like I say, we, we talked about like why bother with all these different subscription services. And I think the barrier to entry on Disney Plus was pretty low. So, you know, we're signed up and I can't imagine unsubscribing now. Very interesting. Like yeah. I can't imagine saying to the boy, like all those films, you can't have them anymore. I think we're in for life now. Wow. You know, in that regard. Mm. 
That's interesting. So you're, you're on Netflix and Disney. Netflix and Disney at the minute. Netflix, Disney, and obviously we have Prime, which has a lot of children's shows oh, yeah, on. Yes. But uh, yeah, yes. it's already becoming a pain to manage where is that show because some of the shows he likes are on the BBC, mm. on the iPlayer, the BBC iPlayer, and they're on Netflix oh, and they're on Prime so, yeah. and, you know, kind of which different seasons on each. So it's becoming a pain. It's even more annoying when you want to download it, by the way. You know, it's, that's even more well, annoying. Yeah, absolutely. But I'd been hoping to sort of not get engaged with Disney Plus because, like, why do we need more content? But actually, you know, content is king, I'm afraid, you know, the old, the old age. Mm. So, yeah, we'll talk about it in more depth, but my mind's changed. Really quick follow-up from me on You Need a Budget Sync. We talked about it the other week. If you're in the UK and you want to try You Need a Budget, mm. it's a fantastic service. But um, you were sort of uh, understandably sceptical about, you know. Huffing. Yes. Mm. I've still got it. But I've given them some money, you know, but I haven't cancelled it yet. Is it safe and should I bother? Well, I've just been watching and the pace of the development progress. So they've added 11 credit cards, Tesco Bank, American Express now supports multiple cards on the same account. Now, those things might not matter to us personally, but like every week new institutions are getting added and existing institutions are getting richer. Mm. And so I just kind of wanted to back up that actually there's quite a lot of evidence that that service is improving and being actively maintained. So, you know, because I just said, oh, I like it because it suited me when I found it, you know, but actually yes. since we recorded, they've added tens of institutions. They now got services live in Germany, in beta as well. So, you know, the questions about is it useful is still a, a separate one, but yeah, it's under active development. And um, like I say, pretty impressed with the speed things are moving there. Ray Flanford, your follow-up? Yes, I wanted to say thank you to Mike Steed, friend of the show, who actually tweeted that he had been influenced into buying the Amazon Echo Clock. Where's our sweet affiliate dollars? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, dollar. He's been using it to do pizza timing. It was just a, a recommendation. And it's now just become part of the way I do the timers in the kitchen. And I've been doing quite a bit of cooking recently and being able to have two or three on the go at the same time has been really useful because that's one of the things that even the Echo Show doesn't do particularly well. And then when you ask it you know, about how mm, much time mm. left on the timer, it will go, uh. Um, so it's just one of those really nice things, glanceability, visual aid. Mm. So yeah, maintain that recommendation. I'm tempted to get one. A tip from me, and I assume you know this, but I like to name my timers. So I say, set a timer for five minutes for chicken, set a timer for 10 minutes for potatoes. And it then gives those timers, those names. And then when you look mm. at it and you can't remember, oh, is the, you know, is the stuff in the oven finished first or the stuff on the hob? Like it actually associates those names with those timers. So do that. It's really convenient because I, like you, have had four or five different timers for different things cooking. And then just go, I can't remember which one's which anymore. They're no use to me. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm tempted to get one of these clocks. I'm not sure Mrs. Smith's going to let me put it up in the kitchen. I'm not sure if the decor matches, but we'll see. One really quick last one from me then. Got my new 5K screen. Yes. But I wanted to talk about, I was looking for content to show off my lovely 5K screen <laughs> because, you know, mm-hmm. my lovely 5K screen. And I really like the Apple TV screensaver, you know, the fly-throughs. Yeah, we've got them on the TV. Yeah, they play on the TV. Yeah. Apple yeah. have commissioned some beautiful shots of footage, real slow motion across, you know, these iconic landmarks and wildlife and natural scenes and things. And they're beautiful videos that have been shot, you know, really, really well. And I mean, it's almost a crime they're using them just for screensavers. But as with all things Apple, they're absolutely gorgeous. There is a open source screensaver which replicates that for the Mac. 
It's called Arial. Ooh. It installs as a Mac screensaver. You can choose if it uses the 1080p or the 4K footage. You can download it or stream it. There's loads of other controls about seeing the daytime footage in the daytime and the nighttime footage in the nighttime. It's really cool. And you know, I love it. I mean, you're going to download tens of gigs of videos potentially if you want to have it all cached locally. But if you've a bit of spare disk space, really like it. Yes. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Aerial works really well and it's just really nice to have those apple tv screensavers and 1.5 million downloads aside that's really cool yeah it actually hooks up to the apple repository as well so over time as apple adds new screensavers this screensaver will get updated as well ah but that's actually this is good because it tells you where it is because i keep on guessing hetty and i spend a lot of time guessing you know that's dubai that's not that's shanghai i like this because it over the top of the footage you put some widgets so i've got the time and the weather and all those kinds of things. But as you say, mm. it actually captions the location, but it doesn't just caption the location like London. It says over the Shard, flying over Buckingham Palace. And it, as the video yeah. rolls on, the caption updates to say where it is. So it's really cool. And obviously there's a couple of bits of footage of central London, which are you know, where I work and I know well, and it's sort of mm. really nice. Yeah. But even that some of the natural wildlife, there's dolphins and barracudas and you know, some mm. gorgeous jellyfish shots and that kind of stuff. So check it out, Aerial. It's a lovely screensaver. And if you've just invested in a nice high def screen, it's a nice way to show it off. I started using the 4K footage, which is oof, crispy, but I've actually switched it to uh, 1080p because my poor laptop was struggling to drive that content. But little top tip from me. Just before we, we finish that, but I'd like to ask you, what have you got? You have a 5K screen. Right. Yes. And I've only got a 4K screen. And one better. But it does look much better on the videos because it's actually built for 4K videos. So my screensaver is better than Ben's. And my laptop is just fine driving. Right. I was just asking. If we're going to get competitive. I was just asking, Rafe. I was just asking. I, I think I, I can sense some challenges here. Okay. Fighty Rafe is my favorite. But it's a little bit sensitive. Yes. Because so, Ben, what are you doing with your extra 1K? Screen real estate. Love it. The reason I bought it was not for watching videos or anything like that. It's that the screen in front of me has the same definition and crispness and color range and everything as my laptop screen. And that's what really mattered to me because I wanted that big 27-inch mm. display, but I didn't want to see the pixels. <laughs> like I, I love the fact that on my laptop or my MacBook, the screen is absolutely crisp. It's really comfortable. I don't get those headaches. I don't get tired eyes as much. You know, it, it's really nice. And I didn't want to then sit down in front of a screen and then kind of lose that fidelity. Like, you know, a place I worked recently gave us all just regular kind of high def screens. And it's like, it's really grainy and grotty. And it made me want to go back to my laptop just to have a nice screen. But then I had the poor ergonomics and I felt like Mm. I was choosing between, you know, kind of wrecking my posture and easing my eyes and sort of having good posture, but having to look at an awful screen. So let me ask you this. Yeah, uh, it was a bit of investment. Uh, well, yes, he said the magic word, listeners, investment. Mm. So I have, for the longest time, always, always, always had dual screen. Yep. Dual 27 inches. There's a brand I like called Hans G. And they're very simple, easy, quick machines. Uh, good price. Very good. I, I've got one of them in front of me, and then I've got the 16-inch MacBook Pro on the left. What am I missing? And, and, and how much am I paying then for a 5K? Not a 4K, because of course, Rafe is very, very worried about it. Yeah, but your 5K, so I'll, I'll definitely get a 5K and wind him up. But just what are we talking here? Just to because uh, we can't hear him very well because of his microphone. And then, yeah, 
You probably can't see us very well either. So the 5K screen is about double the price of a 4K screen. So, you know, it's a big investment. Okay. Are we talking Rafe Blanford chair territory here? Oh, I can't remember what Blanford's posterior is being treated to, to be honest. It's more than chair territory. He paid £800 for his chair. No, that's not true. Okay, go on. What, what, how much? Anyway, it's more than the chair. Yeah, so the LG Ultrafine 5K, which is about the only 5K that's currently still on the market, Dell used to sell one, but they've taken off, is about 1200 retail and listed for slightly more, which is a lot, absolutely is a lot, but... It includes a 1080p webcam and it's also a Thunderbolt hub as well. So if I was buying the 4K variant, those are things that I would have had to have additionally bought as well. So whilst it's still a big spend, I think it's going to last a good couple of years because it's a nice, crisp, pleasant screen to look at. I'm going to be looking at Mm. it all day, every day for the foreseeable future. And I don't need to go and buy a 1080p webcam. And also it has the nice advantage of it's got the same light and the same ambient light sensor in it that your laptop has so the screen behaves exactly the same right and also it means that off the back of it i've got one thunderbolt in it it basically means i can put five gigabit usb-c devices on the back of it so i can connect all kinds of other usb-c or thunderbolt devices oh that's interesting because of course if you are sitting down with a laptop at a desk and you want to have a high-speed disk and a network connection and blah, 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 other things that would be USB-C or high-speed connections, Mm. you pretty much need to have a hub of some kind. And you can either have a USB-C one, which is quite cheap and affordable. We've all got them in our bags as, you know, the little HDMI adapters. But if you want to do Thunderbolt, as I do for my backup disks and those kinds of stuff, you're going to need to have a hub or have a laptop with every, you know, million wires hanging out of it. And so, you know, kind of it was a, a factor in the decision. So yeah, it's not a pretty display, like it's just a black slab of a thing. It's not attractive. And I'm sure now I've paid out for it, um, Apple are going to release a gorgeous brush metal, you know, laptop matching (laughs) display, but I do really like it. And it's just a really comfortable workspace. And it means that you can use all of that 27 inch space really effectively. I don't like having two screens with the divide between them, Mm. but also I find that I'm able to keep windows at the same size that they would be on the laptop. So I genuinely am fitting more stuff on rather than having to size them up because of the poor scaling or size them down. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's very good. Thoroughly recommend it as long as you can justify the expenditure. But I work on the basis that if I'm going to be, you know, using it all day, every day, that that couple of hundred extra quid that it costs very quickly sort of uh, works out over time. Then I think we'd love to know what other listeners are doing with their screens. What's your strategy? Please let us know. Be very interested to find out. Yeah, I'm particularly interested. Is anybody bought an ultra wide screen? One of the things I looked at before I bought this was the ultra wide screens. I chose not to because whilst they're ultra wide, they don't have great pixel density. So mm. they have a lot of pixels on, but they're spread out over these very, very wide screens in this kind of 21 by nine or even wider configuration. And I decided that I'd rather have a smaller screen area with nice pixel density, you know, for clarity of reading. But um, yeah, like I say, it's really good. Recommend it. In my experience, you know, in my couple of weeks experience, some of the initial unreliability that was reported a few years back when they launched the product doesn't appear to be present anymore. Okay. So Rafe's got a 4K. I've got a 5K. What you need to do, right, Ewan, is buy the Pro XDR display that uh, Apple sell with the, with the Mac Pro. What, the, the £900 for the stand? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. It's a 6K screen, but it costs you about five grand, I think, all in once <laughs> with the stand and everything, but it's gorgeous. <laughs> and you can drive it off a MacBook. Oh. So, Anyways, 
Yeah, so there we go. That's all the follow-up on that one. If you've um, got any topics you want us to talk about or if you've got any questions, please do send them in. You can find us 361podcast.com or at 361podcast on Twitter, where most of those topics originated from one way or another. Oh, we skipped over Lightwave and Smart Things, and we won't do it now. I'll come back to it in the next week. But I have now deployed my first Lightwave switches, and I've hooked it up to Smart Things, and it's working surprisingly mm-hmm. well. So we'll talk about that in another week if you're interested in UK-centric smart home automation. Cool. Yeah, finally making some headway on smart lights I'm happy with in just six short months after I started. <laughs> okay, we should move on. Yuma Cloud, it says here, photo editing and healing, brackets you yes. So right. tell me about photo editing and healing. So I have, now and again, when I'm browsing the app store, I think, oh, um, you know, they, they pop up with these kind of content suggestions. And a while ago, I felt I needed to do some actual photo touch-up or edit in anger. And that's because I had the boys. I was in Copenhagen and I just I had them sitting down at the dock and the scene was perfect, apart from some annoying tourist in the background. But the scene was perfect. I just sit there and then both of them, for some reason, struck the yoga pose. You know, that kind of classic yoga pose. They both started going, um, and I thought, okay. Sort of meditating. Yeah, exactly. This is funny. This is, let me take a photo. So I, I did my proper Apple, you know, lineup. To take a really good photo. It looks fantastic. But? But there's a guy in the flipping way. And he's sitting there with his lunch or something and his backpack. And I thought, oh. And actually in the restaurant, just after it, I actually went into the app store and said, search for photo touch up. Because I thought, I, there must be a way. And I, I, I've had these apps before. You've played with them, I'm sure, right? Mm. I thought, what is the current app that you use? to remove something. Now, of course, Photoshop is, a, is a, a key one. And I've got Photoshop Essentials, I think. But I was looking at there must be something else. I was browsing through the app store and I came across something called QuickShot by a company called Enlight. Now, just before I, I need to say, they, they are very, very good at how it works. Because of course, you have to pay for these things. And it is really, really good. There are other apps available, of course. But what you do, you open the app. You do have to pay one way or another. Okay, and that is excruciatingly annoying. I think I paid five pounds for the month or something. There's a seventeen pound for the year, and then fifty or sixty quid forever or whatever. And I just thought, but but does it easily remove the guy from you know this figure in the background from this photo? Yes, it does. It's flipping amazing. I just zoomed in. You click on heal. You then kind of highlight with your finger the bit that you want to be erased. And then it just kind of replicates the background in that section. Now, if you zoom in, you can kind of roughly see where the pixels have been replaced. But I'm not zooming in. It looks fantastic. So in the restaurant, I downloaded the app, made the change, paid the money with the gritted teeth. But, you know, I did get utility. I did get utility. So I did get value from this. Yeah. Exported the photo, sent it up to friends, family. Fantastic. And it's now printed out like a proper photo on the wall. You can't see. I think I can see where the edit is because I remember. It's really good quality. I'd like to know what other people use. This is my go-to one. I'm just a little bit annoyed at the way that they charge for it. But hey, you know, people do need to be paid. And it does work really, really well. It's got some excellent other features like you can change the sky. and some great magic touch-up and editing facilities just to make the photo look better. What I was particularly keen on is the removing. You're moving something uh, and then replacing the background. 
and it does work really, really nicely. But I'm sure there are other services out there. So I'd love to hear feedback from other users about what you use. I really like those kind of specialist photos because I, I've played around with Photoshop and things in the past. And like, I know you can do it in theory, but actually I lack the skills to use a pro tool to do this kind of stuff. I want that kind of guided, you know, kind of yeah. not single use, but you know, specialist, you know, one, mm. you know, a particular journey. Oh, right. You want to touch up your photo. You want to remove something in the photo that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And I suppose I was sort of surprised when you, when you were saying you'd done it, I was thinking surely there's not enough oomph on a phone to do the processing, to do photo editing, but clearly oh, no, it's amazing. more than yeah. enough power. Yeah. yeah. I can demonstrate it to you there. Like, I know it doesn't work on the podcast, but I think I did I demonstrate to you guys the other day, right? And there you go. I'm going to press on heel, heel, and then, you know, bang, bang, bang. I'll just erase the guy. There we go. Bang, he's gone. Right, there you go. Yeah. It's really, really cool. There's no problem about the capability of the device, as far as I can see, anyway. I'm interested to hear that you printed it out, because actually, when you were saying, oh, no, I don't zoom in, I was thinking, oh, well, I would. And then I was thinking, well, actually, no, I don't, because, you know, going back to the beginning of the show, I've got tens and tens of gigabytes of photos of family stuff, and I, you know, clean them up and we share them. But most of the photos that we share... We send them, everyone says, oh, that's nice. And we remember it and then we move on, you know, and that we're not printing mm-hmm. around to go on the wall. So, Rafe, this suggests really that this sort of stuff should be built into the camera app, shouldn't it? Like we're mm-hmm. getting to the point now where camera can't just be an app that takes a photo. It's got to be something where you can actually get the end product you want out of it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, I agree. It's fascinating that it's got to this point. And for me, it's sort of the democratization of a lot of techniques or technology that was previously available. But I think it's already in the camera app and it's already in the cameras. Not all of this, but a lot of this is driven by kind of machine learning algorithms. Hmm. And the interesting thing for me is, you know, training those models and the way it works is basically it's trained on a data set that will then enable that to kind of recognize and be able to do the healing or replacing the sky or whatever it happens to Mm. be. And then obviously it can run on the device. It just has to run the model. It doesn't have to run all the learning bit and therefore do it with relatively small amounts of computational power. I mean, don't get me wrong, compared to the old smartphones, they're very powerful in our pocket. But running the kind of the AI bit is not the point. And Apple has made a point of actually it does things locally in terms of AI including Mm. all the kind of smart recognition it does in photos and everything else. But there's actually two divisions. A lot of this is happening in the camera. I mean, if you think about portrait mode, for example, on the iPhone or the low light modes on the Samsung phones or whichever one you choose to talk about, most of those are achieved with some kind of computational photography and some kind of application of an algorithm to achieve them. And in some cases, it's combining two or more cameras together. You know, the most recent iPhone got three lenses on it. Mm. Partly that's about doing depth sensing, but also about kind of the uh, field of view and, and everything else. So that, there's that part of it. But then they're kind of in the post-processing or like the image apps that you can use, you're able to do some of the more interesting bits of editing and healing, like I say, replacing the sky, for example. Yeah. You know, there are other kind of effects that you can bring in and, you know, even adding animation and things like that to it. But you're right, Ben, what I expect to see is a lot of that stuff will actually migrate into the camera app itself and there'll be an expectation you can kind of edit photos live. It wouldn't surprise me that in the future, you will be able to take that photo and have it up in the viewfinder, but click on something and have it removed automatically and maybe including video as well. 
And so it's really exciting because it allows you to take better photos. And this is kind of the question, like there's always room for better sensors and there's technology coming along all the time that does that. And we've moved to multiple cameras and, and things like that. But I think a lot of the most exciting advancements will be this kind of using AI or using machine learning to enable better photos to be captured immediately and then interesting things done with them. And that can be, you know, the Lumia devices had Cinemagraph, wasn't particularly sophisticated, but producing quite nice results. You know, we're seeing the portrait mode in the iPhone or low light in the Huawei phones and everything else. So I kind of share some of Ewan's frustration, actually, that some of the applications that do this can have some quite expensive in-app purchases. But I think it's what the market demands or or bears, Mm. because to Ewan's point, that was a photo that he's now shown around, got printed out, probably sent as a postcard. Mm, And it's, you know, making that technology, making it really easy to use. So that kind of democratization point I made right at the beginning, it's just fun because it gets it to the point where it's easy to do and it's completely intuitive. And that's an example of, you know, people sometimes talk about smartphone and the photography not going forward. Actually, it still is. And it's great to see because it kind of gives you more value. It made me think of, we were talking the other day about banking apps and I was raving about having real-time banking because the speed changed the way I did the task. You know, like I did my categorization of my expenditure there and then. And it meant that Mm. because doing five seconds of work at the time of the transaction was preferable to sitting down and doing an hour's worth of work once a month, you know, breaking it down was more convenient. I was thinking about that in terms of the photos. If I had to download the photo onto my computer, load up Photoshop, you know, mask it all out, I could probably get a slightly better result, but actually I'm just not going to bother. And so the fact that it's on the phone, I mean, taking into account all the stuff that Rafe's said, which is, you know, the, the, the machine learning and some of the capabilities of the mobile devices are making this easier. Simply the fact that you could take the shot, do the edit and do the share there and then meant that you bothered. And it's kind of, it's almost, you know, sort of taking the friction away has allowed you to do a thing. And it's not the technology, like, you know, there was always the technology to clean it up. It's the technology to put it at a point where you're going to bother, you know, and that applies in a lot mm, of contexts, mm, actually. Mm. Absolutely. Sometimes it's just getting it low enough that it just happens. But also, by the way, I think this is the interesting answer when someone goes, how do I or how do we use AI? This is probably the most common use case I can think of that is kind of a little bit invisible to most people because most phones taking cameras now are using some kind of AI or machine learning to improve the output in one way or another. So we're running out of time on this segment. Can we just name check two other apps that I think are interesting but different? One is Memos. It's an iPhone app that I use quite a lot. Mm. You fire it up, it scans through your pictures, and it does optical character recognition on all your photos or your screenshots, if you limit it. Oh, that's quite useful. And it's really great for where you've taken a picture of some instructions or a sign Mm. or notes or something. I'm, I'm using the camera a lot to remember things, not just to take photos. And I can type some words and it will find them. And it's really great. Before, I used to have to, you know, sort of, find a picture with words in, load it into an OCR app and then extract the words if I needed to. And that was a big palaver. But this is around actually finding those photos or finding that information by removing, typing like Wi-Fi key and then all the photos of the Mm, mm. Airbnb or the the hotel routers and go back to race point. The only reason it can do that because it does all that OCR on the device is that it's using machine learning and more importantly, it's using the processing capability of the iPhone, which is now able to do this in a reasonable amount of time. And Rafe, there's another one that you and I were talking about just before the show, 
Playgrounds.ai have launched, uh, what's it called? Anonymous camera, it's called. So can you just describe what that is? Is this why you were, he was taking photos of me earlier? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Not just for, for keepsakes. <laughs> so what this does in real time is kind of blur out either faces or indeed full bodies. And it's kind of marked as a way that journalists or people documenting protests can safely take photos without potentially compromising the privacy of the people at those protests. Mm. Because actually now with facial recognition, you post those onto social media, the authorities, the police, other interested parties can potentially identify people pretty quickly from existing databases. And so it's both an interesting public use case of why you might want to do that, but also it's just recognising in real time where the faces and where the bodies are and give you various options to either blur them out, put a yellow circle over them, or that kind of thing. But again, computational photography, and in this case, I think uh, an admirable use case. Yeah, one of the first things I thought when I saw this, aside from protests, is um, if you ever go to an event with children in a school yeah. event or something like that there'll be lots of people going don't take photos because there'll be some children who for some reason or another you don't have consent to have their photos published you know and, and often there are very sad and important reasons why that's not mm. appropriate and i was just thinking wouldn't it be great if everybody agreed okay we'll use this app at sports day and i'll take a photo and then all the children's faces except my child's face will be blurred out and i can put it on instagram or facebook or whatever and quickly share it and no one's day is ruined by the fact that these other children aren't identifiable. Mm, mm. It's a different use case, and perhaps the app would need to be tailored. But uh, yeah, there's more than just uh, sort of the protest use case. But it's really interesting because, of course, cameras have been able to spot faces for a long time, but all they've done or what they've predominantly used that for is focusing in the past. But now you can do other stuff as well. Okay, we should move on. As we sit here and record, it's nearly WWDC. Indeed. And Cardinal Sin of 361 is doing anything news related because we publish these things so slowly relative to the news events that they're nearly always out of date. But we wanted to have a quick chat about WWDC Hmm. this year because as this comes out, it'll probably be WWDC time. And I really wanted to know from you two, what do you want to see from Apple? And I don't mean I want a new phone or a new iPad or something. And, you know, maybe you do, but that's not what we're talking about is these events and Google's similar event later on in the year. They almost seem to set like the tech agenda for the rest of the year in terms of what they're focusing on, yes. where they're putting their energy and their money and how they're approaching these problems. For example, you know, using on-device for privacy reasons. And I, I just wondered, you know, what do you want to see mm. out of Apple at WWDC in terms of directions, changes or improvements? So, Ewan, have you got anything you want to go with first? Yeah, I mean, mine's a little bit boring, I suppose. I'd like to see some more leadership from them. Um, I, I, what, what I mean is... I have always been a little frustrated that, you know, I think ages ago I used to blog about this. It's quite frustrating that, you know, they couldn't think of anything else to do with the money. You know, just just give it back to shareholders. You know, is, is, is there nothing else that we could be doing here, Apple? What else can you be doing? Now, I know that that perhaps sounds a little bit, you know, high expectation, arms crossed, you know, do something, you know, dance. You know. But I, I have always enjoyed it when Apple have um, shown the way, pointed the way. And I do feel in some aspects and in in many categories it has been a little bit cut and paste file save as you know next iphone next apple tv yeah i I haven't really felt they've been moving the conversation forward i feel google you know with their ai you know making a phone call on your behalf that i I felt something there's there's lights on there and i I don't mean to be negative here or, or slightly negative because it's a fine company a very fine company i'm a huge customer Am I wrong to want to be excited? 
you know, stimulated. What would move the needle for you? I mean, so for example, if I, yeah. I know oh, okay. Look, it's been right. scaled back or maybe even cancelled, but cars, yeah. for example, you know, yeah. Apple invested in cars for a while and it's it's looking increasingly like the Apple car won't be a thing. Mm. But would that move the needle or are you talking even more radical than that? Yeah, I, okay. Do you know, we can go the absolute opposite way, which is we talked um, about Lenovo and their photo screens. Yeah. Right? You know, Apple... I, I do worry that they, they're missing that you know, this stuff is actually rather important to customers. You know, photos and photo management, video management and so on. Couldn't they say, right, okay, you know, we're going to fix HomeKit. And we're going to make it even better, right? Mm. So I said even better, you know, nice way of saying even better, right? Rather than, you know, make it. You know, make it function. Yeah, <laughs> just do something with it. Couldn't they do some photo screens? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for other kind of paradigm shifts in moving society forward. I, I like what they've done with Apple Pay, you know, Apple Card, because it's pushing the innovation for the rest of the industry. But of course, they are a business. I understand this and they need to do what's right for them. I agree with you on, on HomeKit, actually. You chanced on that one. But mm. HomeKit is a very kind of wonky, lopsided product that, as you say, it only surfaces sort of mostly through third-party products. It doesn't really have a coherent story so that people can sort of start their smart home journey very easily. And, you know, if you want stuff to happen in your house when you're not there, you need to have an Apple TV or a HomePod, which, you know, are expensive pieces of specialized hardware for other purposes. There's not a sort of a, an Apple hub or something. So I'd love to mm. see HomeKit improve both with some first-party Apple accessories that help you get into the smart home market, but also by actually enabling you to do the kinds of things. If you look on your iPhone, you've got shortcuts and Siri shortcuts and you can start to customize the way the device works and you can start to mm. interact with it in ways that you can tailor. You can't really write code for it as a consumer, but you can tailor it. And it's amazing to me that you can't write rules mm. to, you know, turn the lights on and turn the lights off in certain ways. You know, you're very constrained in what you can do with HomeKit. And actually, you know, we've all got well, Apple users have got all these devices around them and it could be a really rich set of sensors that allow you to do incredibly powerful stuff, but HomeKit still feels a bit limited. And some of the things that have been promised, like, you know, secure video and things, the partners they've announced have been very slow to roll these things out and they're not really sort of Apple grade experiences. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to see HomeKit beefed up for definite. Rafe, what's on your wish list? Yeah, go on, Blanford. Well, it's a tricky one because probably like most people read some of the rumors, not to a great level of detail, but the arrival of the kind of the new processors arm powered having you know gone through the intel powered era for apple is kind of mildly interesting for me but that would have caused a lot of fuss a while ago now it's just a thing that's going to happen because apple want to own more of the hardware stack with your expert hat on because i know you know about this stuff do you think that arm processors will deliver the kind of battery or processor power leaps that would be kind of earth shattering. People have been talking about crazy jumps in battery life and that kind of stuff. I think based on the ARM architecture, definitely on the battery life front, I think it's harder to say on the performance front because it depends on what Apple's doing. And actually they've been not secretive about it, but they're basing it on you know some of their existing stuff that they've done in the iPhone. And there's no question that they have got performance and battery life in a very strong place on the iPhone and outdoing some of the kind of the standalone silicon providers. So I can't believe they wouldn't be doing that, you know, for the Mac without actually having that similar leap. 
I mean, there are some more interesting problems around PC architecture, and they have less control, arguably, over the whole software ecosystem. So I suspect what we're going to hear is the announcements, and then developers will get ready for it, and maybe the products don't come until, I, I don't know, next year. But it's kind of the move for Apple to control more of the stack, as I say, rather than having that sitting with a third party. You know, perversely, it's like something that not everyone has done elsewhere outside of Apple, but has been successful for them. And you've since seen Huawei and others try to take control of that themselves. It's not that Apple has done it completely. There are still camera sensors and stuff coming from somewhere else, but the bits that can really have an impact on the user experience. Mm. So yeah, I think it's battery life and it will be laptops. But it'll be interesting to see where they do that elsewhere. I think the other thing that we'll see a lot of is the co-processors that go around that ARM chipset, just as you've got in the iPhone, where they've done it around machine learning, security, and all those other pieces that have come along and has made it super, super efficient. But if I move away from that, I would like to see something more around the kind of the content and subscription strategy, because I just don't Mm. think Apple have nailed that as convincingly as people thought they would. Now, we've been so kind about Apple TV and the subscription that comes yes. to that TV plus, you know, there's been the stuff around games news. and news and music, but I'm not sure it's really set the world on fire. They haven't stood out in a way that people maybe expected them to. And I think they found out that that's a very different business model and much harder for them. So I'll be intrigued to see whether they keep going on that or whether they kind of modify that to become more of a curator. And actually one of the things that's been interesting for me about the Apple TV app is having used it to access Apple TV plus content. It's also promoting stuff from other over-the-top providers, mm. which I've used. And so actually it's reminded me, given me access or I've been a gateway to other things. And I think being a bit more future-looking, I would like to see them do something around AR on the iPhone and whether that's sort of an update to AR kit or maybe even a very specific AR app that kind of allows you to recognize things and link the physical and the digital worlds in a more meaningful way. The reason I'd like to see them do that is because I think that would almost be a preview for what they would then do with opening up to what I might call XR, that combination of augmented and virtual reality, where it sits on that that Mm. axis. People talk about it as Apple glasses or whatever that thing is. What I mean by Apple glasses is the always on, being able to wear it all day, every day, some kind of augmented display. And it probably is augmented reality to start with. And, you know, we've seen kind of the examples of it with Enreal and a couple of others and kind of Magic Leap was heading in that direction. But I'd be excited to see, you know, what is the Google Glass thing done well that isn't constrained by some of the limitations that existed when Google Glass came out. And I think the first signs we'll see of that is Apple kind of looking at AR apps and pushing that on the iPhone because pretty much all of that is mediated through the iPhone screen or the Android screen right now. And pretty effectively, if you look at things on Snapchat, Instagram, a lot of it is for entertainment purposes, but there are starting to be more apps going back to what we were talking about earlier, recognizing plants, recognizing wildlife, recognizing birdsong. Start to put that into an all-day, everyday interface like my glasses. That, to me, would be the exciting thing. And I think that marries back to what Ewan was talking about, about excitement. Don't expect it to see the device announcement. Mm. but maybe start to expect to see the breadcrumbs. Yeah. When Rafe is talking about glasses, he has got these really, really big pink Elton John style ones on today, which I think look really fetching. Thanks, Ewan. He only wears them for the recording as well. Yeah. It's nice. It's a special dress up edition. Mm. Yeah. I Just going back to your content point a moment ago, I, I don't really have any insight to add, but I have listened to other people say, what value does Apple bring to content? Because all they're doing is commissioning 
or purchasing content from other places. And, you know, you can get that from other providers. So it's not mm-hmm. improving their devices particularly other than to say, to make it free or cheap. So unless it's really just the sweetness to say, hey, iPhones can play telly. Here's some nice free telly to show you. But I think we've all got past that point. I don't really understand what they're doing. It's not like they're commissioning particularly Apple content or they're, as you said, Rafe, they're not curating it in a particular way. Arguably Beats One, perhaps the radio station they have is some curated content, but it's only one channel curated to a particular taste and it's not mine. So, you know, it doesn't seem to have a particular Apple voice. It was interesting. I mean, particularly with the Apple TV, they've produced some shows that are nice, lovely, well done, but I could just as easily fill that yeah. time with just as entertaining shows from other providers. And like I say, I'm not anti-Apple content, just kind of expected it to have a bit of an Apple flavour. And that's true also for Apple News as well, which sort of seems to just be a pipe that they want to charge you, you know, to aggregate content. And, you know, I'll pay for some convenience, but I'm not sure how Apple-y they're making that experience, particularly. I don't know, maybe they could add a fact-checking service or something mm. like that. Like, you know, if they really are, but going to be bastions of truth and stand up to you know, particularly the forthcoming US elections, where it's likely to be a lot of focus on, you know, truth and accuracy and fact checking and that kind of stuff, you know, like that kind of idea that would add some value, or maybe I wouldn't enjoy it, but exclusive deals with artists so that, mm. you know, if I want the latest album from the band I like. You too. Well, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I, I deleted the free album they gave us all those years ago. But yeah, I'm interested. Mm. And I mean, I suppose it's not very exciting, but final one from me, software quality. Yes. I pay a lot of money for Apple hardware that is beautifully designed and seems to me to mostly work quite well with the exception of the keyboard on my MacBook, but it's increasingly and distressingly let down by the software quality. And you might be giving the operating system and the mail software and all that kind of stuff away for free, but actually if it doesn't work well, Mm. it degrades the value of the hardware completely. And I'm looking at a device now that I've been having problems all week with stuff crashing and failing and that kind of stuff and apple stuff used to just work and if it didn't just work the way you wanted it was annoying but at least it just reliably did work and particularly with stuff off the ios platform it feels like it's been left by the wayside so i would really just like some focus on getting stuff rock solid again for a little while because a lot of the stuff that we've just talked about is all Mm. kind of massive development effort and loads of changes and platforms and stuff which if you build it on top of shaky foundations, it's going to be no fun to use as a consumer. So there you go. Agreed. What does Ben want? Software that works. When does he want it? No. Last release. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We should wrap up because we're out of time. As ever, interested in your feedback, this show will be going out probably around or just after WWDC. So if you're listening to this and thinking, well, they renounced that, then let us know, you know to, to what extent if you were happy with what was announced. Obviously, Apple isn't the only one setting the agenda here. I absolutely recognise that it's Apple's turn to have some time at the mic, but Google and others will be along later in the year. So Mm. even if you don't particularly care about Apple's products and ecosystems, what do you want to see the big providers announce? What are your priorities? What matters to Mm. you? Interested to hear back from you. We could do some follow-up episodes on those sorts of things. And do you think the themes that we've touched on matter or are we not being ambitious enough? I mean, particularly you and you were saying, be ambitious, think broader like most of my initial list was very much around the kind of the things i've got on mm. my desk in front of me now you know kind of what can i benefit from tomorrow rather than you know kind of cars and the mm. bigger stuff but uh yeah like we do want to see some leadership okay 
If you've uh, got any feedback for us or indeed uh, questions or contest suggestions, 361podcast.com at 361podcast on Twitter. Thank you very much to all our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, go to 361podcast.com slash support and you can help with the production costs of the show. Thank you to Mark, who makes this sound buttery smooth and cuts out all the uh, all the rubbish, bits where I sound rubbish. Um, uh, um, uh. Yeah. Um, uh, absolutely, yeah. Probably leave those ones in, to be fair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you for all his efforts. Five years in and I was chatting to him and he's still enjoying it, so uh, probably needs to uh, get a better hobby or something. <laughs> and we will be back in probably approximately, roughly, maybe nearly, depending on COVID virus, about a week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. There we go. Good job. Who's doing the intro this week? I did it last week in zero takes. Rafe Blanford. Oh, he's been writing it again. This is why he's quiet. If anyone is wondering, he's quiet at the end of the show because he's busy typing up the thing that he doesn't want to get wrong. Uh, Ewan McLeodie. Well, you've, you've spelt my name wrong. <laughs> Ewan McLeodie. That's what you get for calling me Blanfordy. Introduce yourself as Rafe Blandy. Okay. Go on then, Rafe. Do you want to do a run at it? Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLaurie. This is season 18, episode 8, and this week we're following up on topics from previous episodes, discussing how AI is transforming taking photos and sharing our expectations ahead of Apple's WWDC. Just for fun, let's just do it one more time. Take two. At a speed that doesn't make me want to hurt myself. (laughs) Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is season 18. That's too fast. You're taking the piss at me now. Go on, Rafe. Well, you said faster. No, no. I did, yes, but I didn't say silly fast. I just said faster. Relying on your common sense. Okay. And energy, Rafe. What about if we do it at the same speed as the previous 192? I did that the first time. No, that was uh, glacial, Rafe. No, I'm sorry, that was not glacial. That is the wrong adjective. Because if it was glacial, it would be more like, hello. Insert 100 years. Yeah. 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 I mean, the fastest glacier in the world moves about 100 meters a month. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the ice flows. Anyway. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what Blanford does there, right? He gives you a fact and then pushes you on. You know, you go, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, which one is that? Oh, it's one of the ice flows. Move yeah. on, move on. You don't need yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah. It's hashtag okay, right. fake glacier news. So come on. Bit of energy. Come on, come on. Blanford, energy, 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 energy. Go, go, go. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. Photos and sharing our expectations ahead of Apple's WWDC. It'll do. Wow. <laughs> Fate praise from Ben. Oh, you know. My day is made. You've got to keep you on your toes. You know, I can't say, oh, yeah, it's ace, because, you know, you just relax into it again. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you done, have you done, have you done your yoga? No. Okay, I haven't either, but I'll try and do it next week. You know what time it is now, Ben? What time is it? Sausage roll time. I was going to say no? crap joke time. Oh, yeah, but- yeah, go on, just do one. Do one. I, I did have a feedback joke. Just... I'm out of practice because I'm not seeing people at work. We're not doing jokes in the week. I, I can't remember my quite amusing feedback joke. Um, I'm going to have to just l- let the moment pass, uncelebrated. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, let's Google feedback, funny, rubbish joke. Here we go. Uh, right.
Um, oh, it's taking me to Pinterest. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, your eye can is more important than your IQ. There you go. <laughs> that's what they'll have on you know, the walls at Rafe's Digital Agency. No. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the quality that I was necessarily aiming for. Where is that? So, so I uh, rang the council this week to ask if I could have permission for a skip outside my house. And they said, go for it, Fatty. You could do some exercise. <laughs> that's actually yeah. okay. that's pretty good. <laughs> that's good. I do actually like that one. It's not kind. But uh, yeah. Where is the other one? I am. Um, Bloke rings the hospital and says, my wife's going into labour, what should I do? And the nurse says, is this is a first child? I says, no, it's a husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Here we go. Okay. Did you hear about the man who uh, walked up to the librarian and asked, do you have any books on Pavlov's dog or Schrodinger's cat? And the librarian said, rings a bell, but I'm not sure if it's here or not. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, very, very intellectual. <laughs> so you have to know some things. Uh, right then, I'm going to go to sleep. It's 0007. Oh gosh, yes. It's, uh, I, f- I forget that because you've got all those bright lights on. I forget that it's, it's a different time in your country. <laughs> it's just, just 10 past nine here. It's an easy time for dinner. Oh, I went into a shop the other day and I said to the shop assistant, why has your colleague got a large plastic cover over her face? And the shop assistant said, ah, oh, that's the supervisor. <laughs> Ah, very good <laughs> that's very good as well okay there we go so that's it I'm out I'm done that's somebody else's joke <laughs>